Thanks so much. Does this bend? I apologize for the scarf and the jacket. I, I come from summer in South Africa and I'm feeling uh, not just jet lag, but quite sick tonight. And uh, I felt like fainting a few times on the way, yeah. And uh, I don't want to complain about that, but that's how it is. And I felt a little better with a scarf on, so I apologize for that, but that's how it is. Okay, so um, there was one other time in my life. Let me actually take this off. There was one other time in my life which I actually stood up in a church and happened to be in America, so I don't know if that's bad luck. Uh, and uh, halfway through my sermon, I had to stop preaching because of my health at that stage. So I, I hope that doesn't happen tonight. I'd hate to have a second time to be able to talk about. And, uh, <clears throat> but it won't be because of you, it'll be because of uh, me. Okay. We're going to have a series on, on, on missions, three sermons. And uh, this is part one. And the question we're going to ask tonight is, why mission? So you can open up your Bibles at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. And again, please forgive me if I say anything wrong, it is because I'm tired. Uh, if there's anything theologically wrong, <laughs> it is because I'm tired. And uh, if you all fall asleep, it's because you're tired. <laughs> okay, the why of missions, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. Perhaps before I start uh, by reading this verse, I could ask the question, and you can just raise your hands. Does anybody over here, or any of you smokers? Okay. I was at a church in Pennsylvania, and I was told by people, there's a plain brethren church, that this church was backslidden. And they asked me to come preach. And so I went to that church, and I sat down, and they were conservatively dressed. They had a Bible study before, and I thought, now why did so many people tell me that this church is backslidden? And then it happened, an elder stood up, and this elder of the church started praying. And he said, God bless the smokers. And I sat there at the back of the church, and I didn't know what was going on. I honestly was confused. I thought that perhaps they're right. This church is extremely backslidden. I've never been to a church before where the smokers are blessed by an elder. And uh, what I didn't know, and in South Africa, we have things that are a bit different. In, in South Africa, we do not have a surname, Smoker. So I did not know that there was a family called Smoker, and they were not blessing the people who were smoking cigarettes at the back. Um, <laughs> but that's just by and by. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, uh, we read these words before we pray, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. With that thought and that verse, let's go over to prayer. Dear Father, we know, we read this in Titus, um, we read it in different parts of the Bible, that you died not just so that we could go to heaven. He gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And when you died for all, it is not that we should live unto ourselves, but that we should live unto him that died for us and rose again. And this should be written across our lives. And I just ask in this first session, dear Father, that you would give me the strength to bring glory to your name, to survive this sermon, and also, dear Father, that you would speak to every single heart of every single person sitting in this hall this evening. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 
I just like to repeat that verse, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, there's a concept in the Bible when I ask the question, and this is the first question we're going to ask this weekend why missions? Why missions? And to help answer that question, I'd like to look at a person in the Old Testament whose name was Adam. I'm sure all Americans have heard of Adam. You're very clever. Uh, there are people in South Africa and I, that I've met, quite a few, who have never heard of Adam. And uh, they have no idea who he is <coughs> and what he did. But in Genesis 3 verse 6, we read of a woman, the wife of Adam. And we read in uh, that verse that she took of the fruit that she was not allowed to take of. And then in uh, John 3 verse 16, all of you can quote that verse. We read that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I'd like to start this little series with a concept. Self takes and love gives. It's very simple. It's not complicated. It's not quantum mechanics. It's not thing, strings theory. It's not some amazing scientific thing that we have to work out. It's very simple. Right at the beginning of the Bible, we have Adam and Eve, and they took that which was not rightfully theirs to take. And that is the spirit of self. It takes. And then we have the spirit of Christ. And God, he gave that which he did not have to give. And I'd like to ask a question here uh, to do with the why of missions. When you look at your life and you look at other people's lives and you look at missionaries' lives and people sitting in churches, what makes your life worth, or shall we say, a story worth telling? What at the end of your life will make it a story that is worth being told? Now, uh, Americans are clever, like I said, and they know a lot of things. In South Africa, I've had very few people who ever beat me in chess. In America, I have been beaten by six-year-olds. And uh, that's just how it is. I feel very inferior. In South Africa, I can take out musical instruments, and I go to churches. I know that's terrifying, and old-age homes, and... Uh, and different schools and places, and, and people are amazed when I play music. But in America, when I play music, they often do ask me to stop, and I'm not joking. <laughs> but when it comes to uh, uh, Americans, they would know that the richest person in the world was Warren Buffett. Long ago, it was Bill Gates. Right now, the richest person in the world is the head of Amazon. Um, he just recently took over, and... And when you look at these people's lives, they, they uh, often go to places like New York City and they go to Chicago and they go to San Francisco and they go to all these little towns and big towns, uh, mostly big towns, and they hire out halls and people come to listen to them and people not only come to listen to them in their thousands, they fill up almost stadium-type areas, but people come to listen to them and pay money, hundreds of dollars, to be able to have a seat to hear something of the story of the life of these people which they want to emulate because often for the selfish reason they want to be rich like them. Now, I often ask people, uh, even Christians, the question uh, because I see in their lives without judging that the way they look for someone who can give them advice, who can give them a story that they can apply to themselves often is due to earthly success. 
And I go to Luke chapter 16, and I ask them a simple question. When you, I'm not against rich people. I'm not against successful people. I know very godly people who are successful. But when it comes to Luke chapter 16, where you have a rich man and you have Lazarus, and Lazarus was the one on his way to heaven, and the rich man was on his way to hell, no matter how successful he was, if you did not know that and you came there, which of those two would you more likely ask advice from? If you saw a beggar on the side of the road who was longing for a few crumbs from the rich man's table, who, was, who had sores all over his body, would you be likely to go to someone like that and ask advice? And you know, the amazing thing is that rich person could tell you a few things about business perhaps and a few other things, but that poor person could tell you about eternal things like how to know God and a lot of other things. In America, I'm a stupid person, uh, but when I was at school, I supposedly did well for South Africa, and uh, they offered me any university in South Africa for free. I went to public school. And then the, you know, uh, there's a scholarship in South Africa called the Rhodes Scholarship, and they offered for me to go to Oxford. It was a few hundred thousand pounds a year. And um, I didn't have to pay it back. Now, I decided not to go. And that's just one of those things. I got saved, and when I was saved, there was nothing more precious in life than Jesus Christ and telling other people about that. God so changed my heart, He was the most precious thing to me. Now, I'm not against... Uh, people who, who become doctors and other things, but but it just happened to be that I rejected that. Now, I knew the head of Microsoft in South in of Africa, and he uh, he's not the head of Microsoft anymore, uh, but he was the head of Microsoft for Africa. He knew Bill Gates pretty well. He had a hundred billion, uh, hundred sorry, hundred million uh, uh, dollar in American dollars company in South Africa, and I I used to visit him sometimes, and um, he walked up to me once many years back. And he, he was an atheist. And he had a tear in his eyes. And he looked at me and he said, Roy, he said, Roy, are you all right? <laughs> and I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said it again, Roy, are you all right? He had this care in his face. I've, I've really seen a Christian so care for me as this man. And then his wife said to him, leave him alone. And then he said, the boy is throwing away his life. It's a wasted life. And he meant it. That from an atheist with a hundred million dollar company. When the world talks of a success story, a story worth telling. It's a lot different to what heaven talks of a success story and a, a story worth telling. In the Bible, we have, a, we have a portion of scripture there in Matthew chapter 26, where first of all, we see the spirit of self, which takes, and then we see the spirit of Christ, which gives. Because in Matthew 26, verse 3 and 4, we see that the priests and the scribes and the elders came together and they talked together about how they would take Jesus and kill him. And then straight afterwards, we read in verse 27 and 28 of a woman who came with precious ointment and she poured it on Jesus' head. And then the disciples got indignation, the Bible says, and they were 
angry and they ask, to what purpose is this waste? And then in Matthew 26, verse 13, we read these precious words of Jesus. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told as a memorial for her. Do you know what Jesus was saying while these people thought this was a waste? This is a story worth telling. This is a story worth telling through the ages. This is a story worth telling around the whole world. Because this woman gave sacrificially because she loved me. Because her life and her sacrifice was about Jesus. This story is going to be told all over the world. Now, she didn't start a big company, and she didn't, she didn't do many other things that would be a story worth telling to the world today, but she loved Jesus. 1 Peter 2 verse 7, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. And I find in many churches, many people sitting there, religious, and in some other churches where they're liberal, you have a lot of people that... I wonder if they believe, because if you believe, he's precious. And when Jesus is not precious to you, and you say that there was a time in your life where you started believing in him, then I wonder if it's saving faith. People are willing to change who Jesus is. People are willing to change what Jesus said. And yet they say they love him. There's something we have to understand. Behind the commandment of the Great Commission is a person that we love. Jesus is the reason that we go, and Jesus is the reason that we teach. There's so many people out there, when you talk about missions and things like that, they think of the untold millions. And there's nothing wrong with it. I I love people out there. I, I, I appreciate the fact that many of them are going to hell. And they need to hear the truth. But if that's the only reason you go, you've got a problem. If it isn't first and foremost because you love Jesus and you're sacrificing your life for Jesus and you've given everything for Jesus and you've surrendered to Jesus, uh, uh, then uh, you've got a big problem on your hand. John 20 verse 21 says, As my Father sent me, so send I you. You're not just sent to people. You are sent by Jesus. And because you love him, you go and you teach. I know a person in South Africa who was part of a big church, and he happened to be in a relationship with somebody else's wife. He was committing adultery, and he went on a mission trip. He went to India, and he said to me, Roy, when I was in India, as a missionary so-called, sent from my church, I found out I was not saved. There are so many people who go to the mission field because of the need, because of the adventure, because they will be Superman in their church, because they went to poor people in dangerous areas, and not because they love Jesus. Many of them are not even saved. If you look at John Wesley and and Charles Wesley, they actually went uh, overseas uh, to America, to Savannah, Georgia, and they were not saved yet when they were missionaries. And then they got saved. The Bible says in Matthew 23, verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. The fact that you're willing to go overseas does not mean you're saved. To answer the question, why missions, we have to understand the ugliness of self. In the Bible, there's a word called iniquity. It's not the same as sin. We sin when we break God's law and we do things not of faith, but we're born with iniquity. We're born with an iniquitous heart. We're born with a heart that does not love God and it can live without God. Spurgeon said the only thing you have to do to be godless is live without God. You don't have to kill somebody. You don't have to murder. You just have to have the ability to live outside God's life and his authority. To be that sheep that's going your own way. And doing your own thing. And you can go to a pub and get drunk and sleep around. Or you can sit in the church and sing hymns every Sunday. And you can be going your own way and doing your own thing. Living without God. Until you come to the place where you come back to God through Jesus Christ. And out of this iniquitous heart comes sin. Now in, in 2016 in January, there was a, a girl in, and I'm sorry, I'm feeling very faint. There was a girl in, in Mexico. And she had become pregnant before marriage, 16 years old. And unlike in Genesis 5 verse 22 where we read, of how Enoch walked with God after he had Methuselah, a little baby. She had this baby and she carried on with a selfish life. She went on partying. And about 20 rats came into her house while she was away partying and killed her little four-month-old baby while she was living for self. I have a friend in America. Before he got saved, he had a party life. And he used to go with his one friend on back roads and go at very high speeds in his car. And he decided one night, I'm not going after you got drunk. I'm not going with you on the back roads for some reason. And that night, his friend drove uh, uh, in the back roads, winding at high speed through the mountains where the cops couldn't find him. And he crashed. And he had a friend sitting next to him. And that friend was paralyzed from head to toe. And so he went to jail. And when he came out of jail... My, uh, my friend, uh, by that time, had become saved. He'd become a Christian. He wasn't living for himself anymore. He was for living for Christ. And he, he saw, he came into a shop once, and he saw his friend that had been in prison. And he was pushing a little wheelchair. Pushing the man whose life he'd ruined. Trying, as an unsaved person, to undo what self had done. In America, in October 2017, there were five boys in, in uh, I think, the I-57, Michigan, um, Flint, Michigan. They were two overpasses, and they threw 20 rocks, some 6 pounds, some 20 pounds. And they, several cars, as they threw them down to hit the cars underneath of these overpasses, got smashed. One person died. After they did that, they went to McDonald's to eat. How ugly yourself. 
You smash seven cars. You kill people and you go to McDonald's to eat. The thrill. They didn't realize they killed somebody. That's in America is not too often that that happens. In South Africa after 1994, they were throwing rocks off the, over every overpass and over every bridge. And so if you come to South Africa today, almost every single bridge in South Africa has cages over them and big walls so that they cannot throw cars and kill people. In India, in 2017, last year, there was a 16-year-old boy, and this 16-year-old boy wanted his examinations to be pushed forward that he didn't have to get tested in school, and so he slit the little boy's throat of seven years old. Because of self, I don't want to be tested today, so let's kill a little child of seven years old. In South Africa, three weeks back, a triathlete just happened to be running a lot and swimming a lot and a few other things. And I'm not very much into that kind of stuff, but I'll tell you this. He was walking down the street and some people who were jealous of him because he could run faster and swim faster. And they didn't want someone in their lives that was better than them. They took, they came to him and they started to attack him. And he said, yeah, it's my watch. And they didn't want it. And he said, yeah, it's my cell phone. They didn't want it. He said, yeah, it's my wallet. They didn't want it. They dragged him into a bush. They took out a chainsaw and they started to chain, to cut off his legs. Because they wanted him to not run like he could run before. And this is the ugliness of self. In the Bible, you have Gideon, and he had a, a, a kind of son called Abimelech, and he killed 70 of his brothers. One by the name of Jotham was, was not killed. Now, why did he do this? Because he didn't want competition. Jehoshaphat had a son. Had a son that he made king, and he gave to his other sons after he died lots of silver and lots of cities and a lot of different things in Judah. But Jehoram... Uh, got the kingship as the oldest son and he after he strengthened himself he slew his brothers and he slew many of the princes why did he kill all these people because he didn't want competition because of self king john un i don't know how you pronounce that dictator in in america uh he killed his he sent assassins to malaysia to kill his half-brother he had his uncle murdered and many other people because like Abimelech in the Bible, and like the son of Jehoshaphat, he didn't want competition. Right through history, we have people like that who express self. Now, I was once driving down a road, and I saw an old lady. She had thin legs. And I remember looking at this lady, and it was pouring with rain. And I couldn't stop on the highway because there was no place to stop. And I knew that it was miles before the next turnoff. Possibly she had many, many more miles to walk. And she wasn't 70 years old or something. She looked like she was 90. She, she was so thin, she was like a rake. And she was every single, what was pouring with rain, every single move of her body seemed to take everything as she hobbled forward one step at a time through the rain and the cold. And I remember a little while later, I was driving with my wife and I started weeping. And I cried, 
And I cried. And my wife said, what's wrong? And I said, I just remember that lady. And you know, my little daughter, uh, she's always fun. She looked up at mom and she said, mom, stop hurting daddy. She said, stop hurting daddy. Stop pinching him. <laughs> now, my daughter has walked up to people in front of me and told them, my mommy hits my daddy. <laughs> and I said, that is not true. <laughs> but in the Bible, God has a lot to say about old people. In Psalm 37 verse 25, we read the words, I have uh, been young and am now old. If you want to study old people, Psalm 37 has got a lot in it. We won't go into that today. Uh, uh, King David said, uh, 1 Kings 1 verse 1, uh, um, King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he get no heat. In other words, he was really struggling in his old age. And then in Deuteronomy 25 verse 18, we read of those who were in the wilderness, and uh, there was feeble people, the, the Israelites in the wilderness, and the feeble people were behind, and they were left behind. And, uh, I'm sorry, the Amalekites came and they killed these feeble people. These were the old people, they were the sickly people, and perhaps a few little children. They went and killed them. Selfish. And God, God was not happy. He said, you, we're going to have to kill every single one of these people. Because they killed the old people. Now, in January this year, there was a lady. We have the highest, over the last 20 years, rape rate of any country in the world. I work at I work at orphanages often. Uh, when I say work, I mean I go and do spiritual work there. And you get at these orphanages, you get little kids, and they're five years old, and you can hang them from le leg to, to hand. And they're like jelly. They can't speak a few words on you. And I asked the people then, I've seen this on more than one occasion, what's wrong with this child? Has he got a genetic condition? Has it got some sickness? And they say, there's nothing wrong with this child. The only thing that's wrong with this child, nothing genetic, no disease, is that its parents so molested it as a child emotionally that its body started to eat itself. In South Africa, people, 16 men will take a little baby and rape it. I've sat with little children that at two months old were sold as prostitutes. Two months old. Women would start to French kiss them. And they land up in prisons later because what happens to them? But this year, a 107-year-old lady, she lived to 107, and a 39-year-old person walked into her room, did evil stuff with her, and then killed her. A few months back. Why do people do that? You know why they rape the babies? Because they've got AIDS. They've got a sickness. And they think that raping a baby will heal them. They do it for self. That word self is so ugly. People will rape babies because of me. Because of I. Because I've got a sickness. They'll rape grannies. They'll gang rape grannies. But I'd like to say something tonight. You can sit in church and not have done any of these things. 
and you can be living for self. It's a lot harder in the long run to... to uh, C.C. Matthews could stand up and he could murder the person next to him. And it would be pretty hard for him to hide that. Committing adultery often comes out after a while. But self is something you can hide. <laughs> you can go to church, you can sing, you can enjoy the messages and be living for yourself. I remember, I think it was 15 years back, there was a young guy, 16 years old. In America, he called me, and it was about four o'clock in the morning, and I, I said to him, you can call later. And he did. And um, I met a young guy, 16 years old, and this young guy was not living for self. He was working in a bakery, and he wanted me to come preach in America. And so he saved up his money, not for a nice new computer, not for... Uh, something that he could live for himself, but he saved up his money at a 16-year-old so he could fly me over to preach at a conference which he arranged, which he advertised for. He took time off work and we went for three days and we slept in a car and he did witnessing. And now he's going as a missionary many years later. But he was not living for self, sitting in church. I have a friend I've got many friends. Uh, I, I, I once preached a sermon, and a lot of the friends in my sermon that I mentioned died. And, and a young person came to me afterwards and said, I don't want to be your friend. All your friends die. <laughs> I was like, well, it just happened to be that sermon. But my one friend, he, he's gone to a tribe in South America, and there's a lot of tribes in South America, and, and you go to them, and many of them are unreached and this and that and whatever. But uh, this particular tribe... Um, uh, out of a thousand or so villages, there's only about three missionaries in the whole thousand villages, and there's a reason for that because they they do uh, like to kill the missionaries that come there. And so the thing that happened when he came there the first time, uh, um, he had an interpreter, and the chief of the village took him behind his hut and showed him a grave and said, there's one missionary ever came here before, and that's the grave of the missionary. And... If you tell us anything against our practices and what we do wrong, that's where you're going to go. Now, he has a wife and four children. And I asked the question, why does he go? He's one of the most talented people I know. He can sing beautifully. He was good at business. (laughs) As a preacher, he could have preached across many countries of the world and been absolutely fine. But he chose to go to these Poor people who tell him that if he tells them anything against what they believe and what they practice, that that he will die and he'll be in the grave. And they showed him the grave of the previous missionary that came there. And the beautiful thing is he goes because he loves Jesus. It did not start on the mission field. (laughs) So many people go to the mission field because of the fun and adventure and story of the mission field. And like I said, they're often not saved. He didn't just go to the mission field and have a heart that wanted to be there for people like that. I remember 15 years back, he would take the jersey off his back in the cold and give it to a poor person. Four o'clock in the morning, if somebody hundreds of miles away said they needed a Bible, he would get in the car and he would drive hundreds of miles to give that person a Bible. He went through nine months. We had so little money that he did not have 
electricity in his house. He had candles, that's about it. But he would drive hundreds of miles to give someone a Bible. He loved Christ, therefore he went. That is a heart of a missionary. There's three things we have to have with the heart of a missionary. Uh, We have to love Christ, and because we love Christ, we love Christians. You know why we love Christians? Because true Christians have Jesus in their heart. You can never go to the mission field and you can have the heart of a missionary because you love Jesus. You can go to the mission field and sometimes not be saved and not have the heart of a missionary because you're just going for the adventure. We love Christ. Therefore, what he says is important. We love Christians because... uh, um, (laughs) In them is Christ. Matthew 25, verse 40. Uh, when you do it to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Uh, when you do things to other Christians, you're doing, um, uh, uh, you're doing it to Christ, whether bad or good, because Christ is in these Christians. 1 John 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, I'd like to tell you something. Before I got saved, I was a very good person. I used to witness to Muslims. I used to stand up in public school where they got drunk every weekend, and I used to tell them about Jesus. I wasn't saved. But when I got saved, you know, I used to go to camps, Christian camps, and the messages were interesting, but, oh, I love that soccer. (laughs) That football, <laughs> that basketball, that not basketball, that, uh, uh, um, <clears throat> sorry, um, what do you call an American? When you hit the, uh, the ball over the, 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 the net, netball, I don't know what it is, not netball, um, volleyball, there we go. You see, Americans are cleverer than especially sick South Africans, <laughs> uh, and you would definitely be sent to Oxford. Um, But it says here, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, when I got saved, when Jesus got hold of my heart, when I met with God, when I came with nothing but my sin for the first time, I prayed many times, Jesus, come into my heart. But every time I came, I came for the wrong reason. I came because I was scared of hell, not because I was sorry about the fact that I had iniquity, that I was that sheep living my own life. I wanted to carry on living my own life and not go to hell. So I said, Jesus, please come into my life. Just let me carry on. (laughs) But there came a day when I came with nothing but my sin to surrender to God. And that day when I came with nothing but my sin, swallowing my pride, and I had the cross became real to me. In one moment, I was a new person. And one thing I noticed since then, I wasn't perfect, but I loved the brethren. When I went to camps, I was excited about those camps, not just because the messages were night, not just because there was soccer. I still like to kick a ball. Uh, You don't become legalistic after you're saved. Uh, I enjoy kissing my wife. I enjoy (laughs) kicking a soccer ball. I enjoy throwing water balloons. In fact, on my wedding day, some people heard a sermon that I said it was not sin. It is not sin to throw water balloons. They got a whole lot of water balloons, and they threw me when I got married. Uh, They didn't know that I wasn't talking about my marriage when it came to that particular sermon. But but even though we're not to be legalistic after salvation, there is the things that God said will be there because you know Christ. And one of them is that uh, you'll love the brethren. I know it, it was so different when I went to camps. I met people. Yes, there were a lot of people in the crowd, but I met people who had what I had. They were saved. 
They loved Jesus. The Bible was a new book unto them, uh, as 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 talks about. And, and because of that, because they had what I had, I loved them. And that was not there before I got saved. That was not there every time I said a prayer, Jesus come into my life. That was there when I truly got saved, as the Bible says. We love others because they love Christ. They've got what we have. <laughs> and the question is, why not? Why do people not uh, love Christ? If you, if you love, sorry, Christians, if you love Christians, then you will want to take up your position in the body of Christ. You will want to disciple others because you love Christians. Not just on the mission field, oh, I want to go on an adventure. Uh, you love Jesus, therefore you love Christians who know Jesus, therefore you will want to partake of what God wants of you in the church. And the Bible says, why not? We read in this Ezekiel 34 verse 8, the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. And then Haggai 1 verse 9, mine house is laid waste and you run every man and to his own house. The reason why people neglect the church, whether it's the building of the church, or whether it is people in the church, is because they are selfishly building their own little story of their own life. And they don't love Christians. The biggest reason you will not do discipleship and try to disciple someone else, even if it's your woman to a younger woman, just to reach out with the truth of Scripture to someone else is because you're selfish and you're living for yourself. That's what the Bible says. Not only do we love the heart of a missionary, we'll love Christ, we'll love Christians because they love Christ, we'll love souls. And the reason we will love souls uh, is because Christ died for them. My one friend that I witnessed with quite a lot on the streets, uh, he used to quite look down at people uh, who were not like him, did not have the same standards as him, smelled. I remember when I did a lot of prison ministry, I, really, I used to weep in my room, but I really struggled in the prison to, to weep because they smelled so much. And that's just a fact. Um, but he used to look down at these people, and, and, and uh, one day God smote his heart. And he was weeping. I remember him weeping. And he said, suddenly I realized something. As I looked down at that person who was not saved and did not look like me and was on drugs and other different things. He said, this is a soul, as tears rolled down his face, for whom Christ died. And I do not love him. You know, C.C. Uh, Matthews, when we were in, in, in India, we were driving down the road, and he just said to me, Roy, you better listen to the sermon. I don't know exact words, but, but uh, it basically it's a very good sermon. Now, that's about all he said. And sometimes you don't know what's going to happen when you just say a few words. Because I listened to that sermon. It was on salvation. It was by a plain brethren uh, preacher up in Ohio, I think. And... Uh, uh, I listened to this, and even though I was saved, I realized this sermon can help a lot of other people get saved. And so what C.C. Matthews didn't know is that we spread that among tens of thousands of people. 
from him saying two sentences. And I remember in America, I went to some mosques in Missouri and until about one o'clock in the morning, we were witnessing to the Muslims there a few years back. And I got a text message from someone in South Africa in Cape Town, which is a big city of four million people. And it's got mills and everything, uh, uh, very civilized. And this guy said to me, I've been going to a liberal church. All my, he didn't say those exact words, but I've, he basically had been going to a liberal church all his life where they taught that gay marriage is fine, where you can sleep around, where you can commit adultery, uh, where you can lie still and do whatever you want, but we have to accept Jesus. And then I heard a sermon by your dad, he said, and I'm totally confused. I've never heard that we have to repent. And I didn't have time to talk to him. I was witnessing to these Muslims and uh, very busy that weekend. And, and I just sent a text message to him. And I took the sermon that C.C. Matthews gave to me. And I sent him that text message. And I said, listen to this. And he listened to that sermon. And he was smitten by God. And he went to his pastor. And he said to his pastor, I've never heard this before. Have you heard this before? And he started to, to uh, the pastor listened to the sermon. And he said to him, you don't have to worry about this. <laughs> Because, because you have grace through Jesus Christ and you can do whatever you want. And that man didn't listen to his pastor, good person. <laughs> and he, he repented. He met with God. His life was changed. And he went to a much better church. And he's been texting me a few years later saying, he can't wait for me to come down to Cape Town again so he can hear me preach. And I thought to myself, isn't this amazing? You've got a little cell phone, and, and there's a guy in a city that I used to live in for 13 years. I never met this person, but yeah, I'm in America, in Missouri, and he sends me a text message. I send him a text message back with something that C.C. Matthews told me, and he gets radically saved. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take much for a soul to get saved sometime. Uh, <laughs> Just takes C.T. Matthews telling me something in India, me writing it down and sending it to someone else. <laughs> but I'd like to just say one thing. That person was in the middle of a city, a city with quite a few church churches in, but he'd never heard, even though there's good preachers there, the simple truth that God expects us to repent if we to be saved. So he'd been living his life a lie. They talk of unreached tribes in South America, in North Africa. And sitting in a city with lots of good churches, there are people who have never heard of the true God, though they know the name of Jesus Christ. It's another Jesus. A Jesus who allows us to carry on doing what we want. Now I'd like to end off with some thoughts and an illustration. What is a good missionary. Take note of the fact that a soul is a soul. I've met missionaries who believe that the only worthy soul is a soul from a lost tribe where they've never heard the name of Jesus before. Let me tell you, any person, anywhere who's unsaved, who gets saved, there's joy in heaven. And the ministry to those people is worth it. It's worth it. But let's ask the question, what is a good missionary? In the book of Jonah, and I heard a sermon from about 40 years back on a tape recently, and it really struck me. What is a good missionary? Let's ask Jonah. Imagine you had a mission board, 
C.C. Matthews was standing here. He was big. I'm the thin one. You know, I, I honestly, I hope this is not because of my tiredness that I'm saying uh, strange things, but I didn't have a problem with weight, okay? Uh, I'm not like most Americans. I was a very thin person. Uh, and please don't quote me. <laughs> but last year, when my wife, or two years back, when my wife was almost nine months pregnant, my son walked up to my wife, my little son, five years old, four years old then, and he said, Mommy, he said, Mommy, you almost as big as Daddy. <laughs> you know, when I heard that, I started exercising. <clears throat> but yeah, if we had, see, I'm not saying CT matches is overweight, but slightly bigger than me, and then me, and then a few other people. Let's just say we were standing up here, and we were the mission board of a church. And we had Jonah come up here to the front. We said, Jonah, we'd like to examine your credentials as to whether you are a good missionary. Number one, your doctrine. And we looked at the person's doctrine. We found out that Jonah had pretty good doctrine. And Jonah 4 verse 2, we see that he knows that God is gracious, merciful, and slow to anger, and that he's the God of heaven, that he's the creator of heaven and earth. So it's pretty good doctrine. Okay, good. Uh, Jonah, do you have a calling? Oh, yes, I've got a calling. God spoke to me very direct. I find this in Jonah 1 verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Okay, you've got a calling. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, many people struggle with that, Jonah. Uh, but you so far have ticked all the boxes of a good missionary. Okay, uh, do you have the deeper life? Some mission boards would expect that uh, if they're holiness. And um, <coughs> I don't exactly say that, but if Jonah would say, I've, I've got the deeper life, I've been deeper than you've ever been before. Um, <laughs> I've been in a whale down there. I don't want to tell you about it, but I've been deep. Um, does God ever answer your prayers? Boy, does God answer my prayers. I've been in places and God's answered prayers that you could fish respond to my prayers. Um, have you had any conversions on your ministry in the past? I've had, I've had a lot of conversions. Hundreds of thousands of people, even the animals, uh, they repent. Wow. Jonah. You've got a calling. Your doctrine's pretty good. You, you know the scripture. You know, Jonah quoted from Numbers. He quoted from, from the first five books of the Bible. He quoted from the Psalms. This guy can quote scripture. He has prayers that are answered. He has souls that are saved. I mean, what a candidate for the mission field. Uh, uh, do you have courage? You might be killed, Jonah, somewhere. You know, I, Jonah... I, I've, got, I've got courage. I mean, when to save other people, I allowed them to throw me off a ship. <laughs> Have you ever met someone who's so perfectly... <laughs> I mean, he ticks all the boxes. If someone came in there and, 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 and you were asking him these questions, many people would say, but this is the perfect missionary. And then we find at the end of the book that this little worm comes aboard and, and kills uh, uh, the shade that God gave to him. And he's angry. He's waiting for fire to come down on heaven upon the people that he preaches to. But he's angry because he doesn't have shade. What is that called? Self. That ugly thing. You know, the one question you, you have to ask a missionary is not only do you have a calling, sir. Do you know the scripture, sir? Is your doctrine correct, sir? 
Do you have answers to prayer, sir? Do you have conversions on your preaching, sir? Are you courageous, sir? But do you love the people that you sent to? Do you love the people that you sent to? I spoke to a missionary in South Africa who for 20 years, I know him well, 20 years, he had a calling. His doctrine is good. He knows the scriptures off by heart, hundreds of them. But he said to me, and he meant it, I never loved the people that I was sent to. He went for 20 years as a missionary, and he never loved the people that he was sent to. Is your life a story worth telling? I end off with one last thought. My grandfather, he died two years back of cancer, and he was a man of God. Now, that's not lifting him up, it's just a fact. He gave me many spankings. He used to use a weeping willow and a, a plastic pipe. It was wonderful. In South Africa, when I was young, they used to spank us at school. They used to, my mother had a, had, a, had a shoe. No, wait. My dad, my mother had a shoe. My dad had his hand. My granny had a wooden spoon. And my grandpa had that weeping willow. <laughs> they were not non resistant when it came to children. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> but my grandfather got up every morning, three to three o'clock in the morning. He was a farmer and he, and he had his quiet time in the evening. He had a few hours which he prayed. He used to go up into the hills and the poor areas. And when I visited him every weekend, he'd take me in his van and he'd drive up into the poor areas and walk far that he could find poor churches that he could preach to. Every soul that he could possibly speak to, he would witness to. Whether it's in an airport, whether it's his car broke down, whether it's someone visiting his house on business, you name it, he would speak to them about Jesus because he loved them. Many people got saved. But my grandfather had a few things that happened later in life. Number one, uh, through his uh, uh, one son, uh, he became bankrupt. And the banks were on his case with his farm. And they cut off his electricity. They cut off his telephone line. He had very little food. And he sat there with candles in his 80s. I remember him still praising God, sometimes with tears on his face. But on the days that I knew that the bank was coming to, to take away his farm, on crisis days, if something amazing didn't happen. I remember a man sitting in front of me, and that man was visiting for that day, and my grandfather, in spite of it being a crisis day that he was losing everything, he was telling that person about Jesus. My grandfather had a quadruple bypass, and in the hospital beds, he was telling everybody around him about Jesus. When my grandfather was preaching at one conference, he had a stroke. We could not get an ambulance to him. We got a taxi to take him to the hospital. And I remember he was telling the taxi driver, he just had a stroke about Jesus. My granny, my grandfather died, my granny when she had spinal cancer, she, was, she went into a coma. The doctor said she, you, she will die. And when she was in that coma, the only words that she was saying over and over and over again is, Doctor, are you saved? Doctor, 
Are you saved? Doctor, are you saved? She did survive that. They said she'd never walk again. I went to her. I said, Granny, I've got a few people across the world that pray. Can I send them a prayer request from you? And she said, yes. And she couldn't walk. She said, just pray that souls will be saved. Not for herself and her legs. My grandfather... They took out two-thirds of his stomach because of the one cancer that he had that he died of eventually to try and save him. And in hospital, three years back, he said that for the first time in his life, he experienced something that was terrifying. A person was sitting in a bed next to him, and the nurse and doctor came to that bed, and that person asked the doctor, am I going to be all right? And the doctor said, you're going to be fine. And as they walked away, he heard the nurse saying to the doctor, but you know that that man's dying, that he won't live till tomorrow, and you said he's going to live. And that doctor said, I don't want to, I'd rather he goes, he dies, and he just uh, fades away than that he has a fearful time because he uh, knows what he's facing. And that nurse said, you can't do that. You can't make a, a little guy die and he doesn't know he's going to die. And so she went back. And in this bed next to my grandfather, she said, you're going to die within a day. And my grandfather lay there on that bed. And he heard a man howl next to him, screaming, I'm not ready to die. I don't know God. I'm not ready to meet with God. You know, my grandfather said something I'll never forget. He said, for the first time in my life, there was someone who needed the gospel sitting in a bed next to me. And I had so much pain from them taking my stomach out that I couldn't say a word to help him. That nurse went and got a Bible. She was not a Christian. She read him a few verses from the Old Testament. He listened to every word for something of hope. And she closed the Bible. And he howled. He screamed at her. He said, you be told me nothing. My grandfather went home. For the first three days, my brother actually drove down to look after him and dress him through the night. For the first three days, he couldn't say anything. He was in such pain. In the middle of the night, he used to come half naked out. This is, my grandfather's a gentleman, but he came half naked out. He was in such pain, scratching himself all over his body from the pain uh, uh, that was all over. But when he, after three days, could speak again, he got everybody together that was in that house, and he said, listen, I couldn't tell that person, but I'm going to tell you again. Of Jesus. And he realized more than ever, even when you long for a moment to be able to say to someone something of Jesus, and you call out to God and say, God, let me speak. I'm in such pain, but I want to tell him about Jesus. God might not answer that prayer. Because the time you have is the time you have while you have it.
And there's going to come a day when you look back at your life, either from heaven or down here, and you're going to have to ask yourself the question, is this a story that according to heaven is worth telling? Because I spent it for Jesus. Because I love Jesus. Or did I live it for myself? Did I live it for me? Whether it was in a pub where I got drunk or in a good church with good clothing, singing hymns, but I live for myself, not Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Father, I just want to thank you so much for thy, thy word. And that behind the word of God, there is the creator of heaven and earth. The one in whose hand our breath is. Thank you that every single breath, sorry, that we have and that we make and that we breathe is a gift of God that you give us. As we're sitting breathing in these stools, every moment is because you allow us to breathe. You're giving us another moment to breathe. And help us to realize, dear Father, each person sitting here and myself, that many things that are a story worth telling on earth, success and so many other things, is not necessarily a story worth telling in heaven. But that a little woman who sacrificed her life and her means for Jesus because of who she loved was a story worth telling across the world, according to heaven. And help us to realize and it to be written across our lives that we love Jesus and that's everything. That we should love Christians because they know Jesus and that we should love souls for whom Christ died. In Jesus Christ's name.